Welcome to the Highway Church Podcast. We're excited that you would join us today and hope you're encouraged by the message you hear. If you'd like to know more, visit our website, highway.com.au. Good morning all. Good morning online. My name's Greg Anderson. I think it was on the screen before. Uh, We're going to take our text today out of Ezekiel 47. Now, we've been in there quite a bit, and I expect we're going to be in there a bit more, but um, I'm going to go about it a bit differently. Uh, who, who in this room sort of knows me reasonably well? Put up your hand. Yeah, do you think I'm a bit different? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I'm a structured person, I'm an historian, and I've got like a, um, a fetish for dates. In fact, I'm a mnemonic What's a mnemonic? A mnemonic is an associated data pegger. I've lost you all right there. (laughs) When I was a teenager, I couldn't talk. I had a very bad stutter. It's called stammer, different parts of the world. About 4% of kids have it. Um, It's exclusively male, and there's no cure for it. And I had as a kid, and I had a subset of that called headmaster syndrome. I'm telling you this because of what's going to happen in a minute. And headmaster syndrome means that anyone in authority, like a headmaster, a teacher, in fact, any adult, any person, I couldn't speak. If I went into a milk bar those days, you had to ask for a can of Coke. Well, that was hopeless. I just couldn't do that. I couldn't speak. In fact, they they should have called it pretty girl syndrome because the people I really couldn't speak to were pretty girls. (laughs) The prettier they were, I was hopeless. But what it meant is that everyone thought I was dumb. That's where the word comes from. You can't speak dumb and, and then stupid. And everyone thought I was a bit slow. My parents thought I was a bit slow. In fact, my father's great ambition for me, God bless him, was that I'd be a butcher because at least you're inside out of the heat. <laughs> so to show I wasn't stupid, I started to data peg everything. I learned every nation in the world every capital of every nation, every river system that throws through the capitals, every mountain range, all the key dates in history, all the presidents of the USA, all the prime ministers of Australia. I memorised a lot. Melbourne Cup winners back to 1933, AFL winners back to 1924. I memorised everything just in case there was an opportunity somewhere in my life that someone didn't, I knew something that someone else didn't. Public speaking, well, that was worse than death. (sighs) Spoken all over the world. God is good. One thing I did do that almost all stutterers do is we sing. Because God's created us that we can't stutter when we sing. It bypasses our brain and our system. And we sing. That's why I always sing. Whether you like it or not, I sing. Because <laughs> that's why I believe that, that singing's of the soul. So I'm different. I've lectured in Bible college. Actually never been a student there. I've led churches. I'm not a pastor. And I'm a, I've preached many times and I'm not an ordained minister. So I'm a little different. This text we're about to read in a minute, the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis, won't let anyone under 30 
preach from this text because they say it's unknowable. No one knows it except when the Messiah comes, they say. But so I'm over 30. I'm going to give it a go. Okay, let's, uh, so it's, a, it's the book of Ezekiel. Just to give you a picture of that, the book of Ezekiel is a vision that God gives to a prophet Ezekiel in the year 567. He is in Babylon at this time, in, in captivity in Babylon, when Israel, in fact Judah, got shoved over to Babylon for 70 years. Just the context of that, the first part of the, the, the Babylonian captivity is the book of Daniel, where you've got... Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The second part is Ezekiel's vision. And then Haggai, which we preached from last year, is, is set when they just get back from the captivity of Babylon. So the vision centers around a new temple in Jerusalem. Ezekiel 47, 1-2. He brought, the, he, he brought me back to the door of the temple. And there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the front of the temple faced east. I'm going to stop there. Who is the he that is mentioned in verse 1? There's a he. There's a a man who takes Ezekiel in this vision all around the temple and all around the river later. Well, we go back to Ezekiel 40, verse 3, to actually meet this man. It says, he took me there, and behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of bronze, He had a line of flax and a measuring rod in his hand, and he stood in the gateway. Appearance of bronze. Measuring rod in his hand, he stands by the door. Who does that sound like in Scripture? There are at least eight times in Scripture in Old Testament that most Bible theologians believe that Jesus appeared in human form. Abraham, when he met Melchizedek on the road and gave him a tenth of all. The man who fought Joshua all night till dawn and then go, oh, sorry, um, Jacob, sorry, and gave him the name Israel. The warrior who um, Joshua met as he was walking into Jericho. And of course, the man in the fire was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, this is a vision, this is a prophecy, so that God gives. So it's not the real Jesus there, but. The man is a very clear type of Jesus. In fact, Ezekiel's vision at its very heart speaks of Jesus. It's a messianic prophecy. So there's a river flowing from the temple in Jerusalem. Now, because I know my river systems, Jerusalem is the only city in the old world that was never built on a river. So this is miraculous. This is not natural for, for this area. Point number one this morning. Are you with me? That's the introduction. Point number one is go to the source. The man took Ezekiel to the source of the flowing water, the temple. That's where he went first, to where the water was coming from miraculously. Now, the temple literally speaks of the presence and the authority of God. This is where the people came to sacrifice. This is where they came to worship. Rivers in Scripture represent God's purpose and direction. And water in the Near East is a precious commodity. It's a very dry place. You know, of all the water in the world, 97% of it is salt water. The three remaining percent is in icebergs, permafrost, glaciers, and soil moisture. That leaves 0.0001 of the world's water, which is usable fresh water. If you took this, it represented all the world's water. Less than one drop would represent all the fresh water in the world that we can use. Water is such... A precious, precious thing. In fact, without it, we die. 
With that in mind, let's go to John 7, 37, 39. It says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow within them. He stood and cried out in a loud voice. New Testament, there's only twice where Jesus is recorded as lifting his voice. This time and when he is on the cross. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me. This is the greatest day in Israel. This is the day of atonement. This is um, its largest crowd, its grandest temple, and its holiest city of Jerusalem. And the custom was that the priest would get this golden um, vessel and fill it with water and literally run it down the steps of the temple. They were imitating Ezekiel chapter 47. And it's in this context that Jesus stood and cried over the noise and jubilation with three life-changing statements. If anyone is thirsty, if anyone is thirsty, regardless of status, age, gender, race. Remember the, water, the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman? Jesus said, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for water and I would give you living water that never runs out. If anyone is there, come to me, he said, not the temple behind him, not the process, not the altar, not religion, come to me. The first thing is, the last thing he says, drink. You've got to drink it, replenish and drink. Jesus is the source and all the self-help books in the world won't help you do any more than that. Revelation 22, if you just quickly turn to that, it's the last chapter in the Bible. John's vision, he says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. That's Jesus, that's Ezekiel's vision right there. My story is similar to, to Byron and Anne's. Um, I was saved in 1980. I, I did not come from a Christian home. The very first church service I ever went to, I'll put up my hand. Very first church. It was a heaven and hell sermon, for those of you who remember those. Scared the hell out of me. It's worked for 42 years, so there must be something in it. I went home from that, and the pastor who was there said, just go home and just... And just pray so I just for the first time in my life I knelt in my bed and just prayed a simple prayer that next day I woke up and the world had changed Paul speaks about um, the, the your eyes being open and the scales falling from your eyes and that's what it was like it was inside and out the sky was bluer the trees were greener I knew what it was like I've read, I didn't know anything about Christianity but I knew when they spoke about being born again this was it and you know what? There was no emotion. I'm not an emotional person. I don't go by my feelings. It had nothing to do with emotion. There were no tears. Just this absolute spiritual revelation. I felt, I felt like that blind guy that Jesus healed from birth and the Pharisees came to him and his parents and said, you know, and he said, look, all I know is I was blind and now I see. And it was that guy. 
And that's all I knew. I was blind and now I see. And it was that guy. Like what the great writer John Newton said before his death. I only know, I, I know two things. That I'm a great sinner, but he is a great saviour. So when you meet Jesus, who's the source, and he's the source, you, you don't forget that. You just don't. You know, at Highway here, we don't preach um, lifestyle sermons. Um, our primary purpose is not to make you feel better. Our purpose is to point us all, all of us, to a resurrected Jesus and the power and life of his. Okay, two. Point two, step out to step in. Ezekiel 47, three to six. As the man went eastward, says this man who was with Ezekiel, the type of Christ, a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits. And we know the story here, I think we can follow it, that he goes out deeper and deeper into the water. He steps out. The man leads him and steps out. See, God is always asking people to take the next step. The next step of faith. The next step is almost never a step though. It often feels like a leap. You know, there's some stairs near my place and the local council uh, replaced those steps uh, with new ones. And instead of being like that high, they're that high. They're a lot bigger. And I asked the council guy, why is that? And he said, well, that's climate change. (laughs) I thought I'd throw a bit of brevity in there for you. But, you know, risk and faith, stepping out is so entwined. There's a famous study of, of 95-year-olds that were done many years ago in the United States. And it asked the question, if you had your life over again, what would you do differently? So you've got a bunch of 95-year-olds. Now, I've, I know people who are 95, 97. Just think about the life they've lived. And the question, if you had it all over again, they had not got to please anyone. They don't, you know, they're not on social media and checking their likes. They don't care. And the number one response was they wished they had taken more risks. It wasn't the things that they did they regretted. It was the things they never did. They regretted not taking the opportunities. They regretted not giving it a go and stepping out. You know, we grow in life. We grow in faith by taking the next step for you. Your next step may be activating a ministry gift that God has given you. Your next step might be reaching out and telling someone about Jesus. Your next step, for some of us, is acknowledging Jesus as a source of life, repenting and giving your life to him. Because even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit there. You've got to start moving. Paul says in Philippians 3.13, Brothers and sisters, he writes to us, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. In other words, I don't consider myself to know everything about what's going on. But this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining, which means reaching forward and stepping forward to what is ahead, to what God has called me to. In Matthew 7, 7 and 8, Jesus says, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For Jesus said, for everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be open. I have a sense that we stop growing when we stop asking, seeking, and knocking. When's the last time we asked, seeked, or knocked? 
You know, Jesus continually responded to those who stepped out. The centurion who beseeched him. The blind Bartimaeus who cried out to God. The woman at the well who, not the woman at the well, the woman with the issue of blood who, who just said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, if I can just step out and touch that, I know my life will change. Who's seen that episode of The Chosen? It's amazing. I thank God, you know, for all the revivals that we hear about, like in Ashbury in Kentucky. Um, but I see a day when they take place in our streets, in our private homes. Miracles of unbelievers. Jesus didn't do any miracles in churches or temples. He did them in streets and homes. That's what I pray for. God is the God of the extra mile, the next step, the reaching out. Jesus is on the other side of your next step. And the Holy Spirit is ready for us all to reach out. I want to tell this story. I think I've told it before, so my apologies if I have, but it did affect me and it fits in here. Many years ago, um, I had a client that I went out to see. Uh, his name is Vic. If you're watching, Vic, hi. Vic had cancer where cancer should not be. And he was in a bit of a mess. And I uh, spoke to him and he was a bit despondent and down. And He didn't know I was a Christian. I didn't know what I was going to do. But I simply said before I left, because he was in a bit of a bad way, I said, Vic, do you mind if I pray for you? A bit stunned. He went, oh, sure. And I said, I pray this words, no other words, these words. I said, Lord Jesus, please show Vic that you love him. That's all I said. Then I went to reach and touch his shoulder, not as a prayer, just to say, touch his shoulder and say goodbye. And when I did, there was what I can only describe as a bolt of lightning came out and it hit him so hard, it smacked him back in the chair. I have proud for thousands of people in my life and I have never, ever had that response. I was more surprised than he was. It was like the Holy Spirit was saying, okay, you've done your bit, now I'll do mine. You've stepped out. That's all, stepped down and said one thing. The Holy Spirit said, thank you, that's all I need. Bang. Vic, he couldn't talk. He, he sat there vibrating like that. I thought I killed the guy. So, <laughs> Lord, what have you done? And so much so that he couldn't talk. And for Vic, you know, he couldn't talk. That's, that's pretty big. He's a bit of a talker. So I left and I went home. And that next morning I rang him up and I said, Vic, when I prayed for you last night, did you feel anything? I'll leave out the expletive. Yes. Vic moved to Sydney soon after that. And I got a call from him. Greg, I want to take my family to church. Where's a good church in this part of Sydney? Then he went to um, rural New South Wales and he rings me up. Greg, what's the best church to go to in this town? He's still alive. 15 years later, that cancer, he, it's all gone. <laughs> the point was, and my point today, is not that I'm the miracle worker. I got nothing. I just stepped out a little bit and said, can I pray for you? That's all I did. That's all I did. And the Holy Spirit has this habit of going, oh, thank you. That's what I was after. You've opened the door for me. I'll go in. Point three, last point, go deeper. It's a thing called the intertropical convergence zone. It's called the itch. 
That's what meteorologists call it. It's a, it's a band within 20 degrees of the equator, intertropical concert. Now, um, also, with data pegging, I'm a, I'm a meteorology nut. So rainfall records, temperature records, southern oscillation index, if you know anything about that, that's my stuff. No one knows anything. Okay. Um, basically, I'm rain man. So it's the place where there's convergence of the trade winds, where there's high pressure but low winds. And the sailing ships of old, if they got in this area at a certain time, there's no wind. They would stall on the ocean and the, and the sea would come like a mill pond. The old sailors had a word for it. They didn't call it the intercontinental, um, inter, they called it the doldrums. Old sailing ships would become becalmed, not going anywhere. When you've got the doldrums, there's no, there's no step forward, there's no way forward, there's no purpose, there's no vision. It's all same old, same old. We use it today and we've all felt like it at times. We're going through the doldrums. And they knew that this particular ship in 1670 had been not, not only for days but for weeks in the doldrums. They were running out of food and they were running out of water because the only way they can get water is from the sky. And if it rains, it it blows, so there's no water. And the old sailors knew one thing. If they drank seawater, they would go mad and die. Our kidneys can't process seawater. But they also knew that that last gas, that last drink of seawater would mean for a few seconds they'd get relief. And eventually one sailor drank some seawater, burst out laughing because it was fresh. Celebration broke out on board. They were swimming and they were laughing what they didn't realise that off the, this is off the coast, the west coast of South America, is the Amazon River has a mouth that's 240 kilometres wide. It puts the equivalent of 90 Olympic-sized swimming pools into the Olympic Ocean every second. It's so powerful that it puts a layer of fresh water out in the ocean up to 160 kilometres off the coast. What they didn't realise is they were sitting on their salvation, just waiting to be tapped into. And I have a sense, many of us are just sitting on something, we have to go deeper, step deeper. You know, Jesus told us we have everything we need to grow, everything we need to grow. His Word, His gifts, and the Holy Spirit to lead us. He also told us that we, you and me, would do greater things than He did. Just stop for a minute. Jesus said that we would do greater things than He did. Greater things than heal blind guys. Greater things than heal the lame. Greater things than feeding 5,000. Greater things than raising the dead. Greater things. With three things. His Word, His gifts He's given us, and the Holy Spirit to direct us. You know, to grow in 2023, we may need to dig a little deeper into all three and to turn our eyes upon Jesus. If I gave you an envelope now, everyone got an envelope, and inside the envelope is the date you were going to die. What would you start doing? What would you stop doing? If today, if you've got that envelope and that scares you, if 
it scares you that you don't, you're going to die. You don't have to be scared of death. Jesus conquered fear and death. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never, ever die. We have this hope. And today, if you're that person, if you've got that envelope that said the day to your death and you, you, that scares you, I want you to go to the source. I want you to go to Jesus. Are you game right now to put your hand up and say, that's me? Is there anyone in this room need to go to the source and say, oh, I want to accept Jesus. I want to acknowledge Him in my life. I don't want to have a fear of death. Is there anyone? For the rest of us, the thing that we would start doing thing that we need to start doing, we've got to do that thing. Remember the 95-year-olds? What they regretted is not the things they did and all the mistakes they made. They regretted not stepping out, not taking a risk. Stepping out is the most powerful thing, taking that step, because the Holy Spirit meets us. Jesus is always at the other end of that step. His grace. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word, which is so powerful. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you convict us with your word, Lord. That you challenge us. That you draw us to Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we have a hope beyond this world. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to get in contact with us or find out more about Highway Church, go to highway.com.au.